from WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Grace Warner. And I'm Abby Grise. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. This week, we're talking about the Drop Your Shorts Film Festival and the impact it has had on Southeast Ohio. And the Marching 110 is a favorite group among many Ohio University students. We talk about why they're more than just musicians. There's just something magical about a marching band, but unless you've been a part of one, you probably don't know just how physically demanding it can be. We'll give you all the details and more coming up right here on The Outlet. Go to a home football game at Ohio University, and you may notice the group of dedicated athletes that take the field three times during the game. They're not there to play, but instead to provide just a little bit of magic and entertainment. The outlet's Andrea Robinson has more on what it takes to be a part of the Marching 110. It's halftime at Peden Field, and the Marching 110 is about to perform. The percussion section begins to play as the band members march onto the field. The crowd claps to the beat. After the members find their formation, all the instruments join in and everyone in the stands raises to their feet. There's just something magical about a marching band, but unless you've been a part of one, you probably don't know just how physically demanding it can be. Members aren't just marching with their instruments, some weighing as much as 25 pounds, but they are also dancing to choreography. All of that may look effortless during a performance, but it takes a lot of practice and physical stamina. They have got to be, um, first of all, aerobically fit to be able to last through the entire performance without, without stopping. Um, they have to have good endurance, uh, cardio, cardiorespiratory endurance. But they also have to have good flexibility because you've noticed some of their dancing in particular when they go down into, into splits or, you know, you'll see the cymbals sometimes come down on their knees and bend backwards. Uh, you'll see the, the tubas do that sometimes. So there are a lot of um, motions that they do that require good flexibility, just like you need to have good flexibility uh, as an athlete. That was Dr. Jeffrey Russell, the Marching 110's athletic trainer. You heard it right. The band has its very own athletic trainer, and for a good reason. We see a few injuries that are interesting. Um, the, some of the traumatic injuries would be very common for them to have a sprained ankle because you know they're marching, they're turning. Um, now it, it's true that on the astroturf they're at least on a flat surface that doesn't have a bunch of potholes. But when they're uh, when they're on a grass surface, you've got potholes in the in the natural turf to to be concerned about. Injuries aren't surprising when you hear just how much effort members put into their work all year long. This is freshman cymbal player Allison Zink. We practice outside, so no matter what the heat is or if it's raining, we're outside practicing. And our marching style, the way that we have to keep our posture and how high we have to march with our legs, are it's very physically demanding. And you definitely get exhausted, and we are always out there practicing. So I would definitely consider us athletes. Um, considering how much time and effort we put in. 
Marching 110 members devote about 11 hours of practice each week on top of performing at games, parades, and special events. At times, they only have a week to learn the music for a show. The typical hour and 45-minute practice is filled with learning and memorizing music, the moves, and field formations. At a typical Saturday home game, a band performs three times on the field, and the day can last anywhere from 10 to 12 hours. It's definitely a long day. It's tiring. My feet are always killing me <laughs> at the end of the day, but it's super fun. Sore feet, sprained ankles, and a lot of sweat. It's not easy being a member of Marching 110, but these musician athletes are dedicated to what they do. And that love and passion definitely shows on the field. For The Outlet, I'm Andrea Robinson. The bars on Court Street draw hundreds of Ohio University students almost every night of the week, but some might not technically be allowed inside. Taylor Brooke walks down Court Street to see what it's like to enforce the rules. It's a typical night on Court Street in Athens. Ohio University students are crowding into bars like Red Brick Tavern, J Bar, and Crystal and hanging out with their friends. There are 22 bars packed into the half-mile stretch of Court Street in Uptown Athens, and all those bars have to be on the lookout for underage students trying to get in with fake IDs. According to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, 56% of underage people have reported borrowing or using a fake ID to get alcohol. And so that's when this guy comes in. My name is Reggie, and uh, I work at the pub. Reggie's a senior at Ohio University, and for the past two years has worked as a bouncer at the pub. He says it's pretty easy for him to spot a fake ID. I mean, that's part of the training. I mean, some IDs you can look at automatically and know. Um, some you can just feel and know that it's fake. Bouncers get a training book from the state on ways to tell a fake ID from a real one. Reggie says all bouncers also have to take an online course. There are also certain factors that are red flags for bouncers that come from years of experience. You don't see Tennessee or pretty much the southern states. Uh, South Carolina is a really bad one. Illinois, Pennsylvania, um, those are mainly the bad ones, but with like IDs like um, New York and Ohio, they're really easy to, they're easier to tell. People caught drinking underage at a bar can be an expensive mistake for the bouncer, the business, and the bartender. Usually, if you get caught letting an underage in, um, the door guy gets fined, uh, the bar gets fined, and most likely the guy that let him in or the guy that served him um, usually gets fired. And so it is a costly matter, so um, we do have to consider all aspects um, in letting in underage. And for students caught with a fake ID, if found guilty, they face fines between $500 and $1,000 and up to six months of jail time. As for catching students with fake IDs, that's where law enforcement comes in. We're stringent because we're trying to protect people. We're around 15, 20 arrests for false ID a year but probably on the order of three or four hundred warnings. That was Athens Police Chief Tom Pyle. He says fake IDs aren't the department's biggest concern, but officers will charge underage college students with possession of a fake ID depending on the situation. And this year, the department is focusing more on the issue of underage drinking. He says the main purpose of the police department is student safety. It's not a police against student issue. It's a police against behavior issue. Back on Court Street, as students move from bar to bar, bouncers like Reggie will be doing their jobs. 
and Chief Piles officers will be out doing their best to keep students safe. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Brock. The annual Halloween block party took place here in Athens this past weekend. It has become a tradition for students at Ohio U, but what does Halloween mean for newly acquainted international students? Our reporter Candace Wilder finds out what the holiday is like from another perspective. That was Xing Yi Yin saying Happy Halloween in Chinese. She is a senior studying journalism strategic communications and moved to the United States for school nearly four years ago. For Xing Yi and nearly 1,700 international students at Ohio University, Halloween is a chance to explore and learn about new cultural traditions. Xing Yi's first Halloween experience was her freshman year, and for most of the night, she carved pumpkins with her friends at Ohio State University in Columbus. This year, she says she doesn't have any specific plans, but hopes to continue her annual tradition of carving pumpkins. Because um, I have no idea like what Halloween like people really do on Halloween days before. Like what I know is like basically just like crazy things on the street and like candies like trick or treat and um and the pumpkin things I believe. So um when I first came here, like I'm really excited about carving pumpkins because I never did that before. Xing Yi says that in China, there is a holiday similar to Halloween called the Ghost Festival. It usually falls around late August or early September. But instead of it being fun, as Xing Yi likes to say, it's more of a serious holiday in traditional Chinese culture. Actually, it's not ghosts. It's for the people who have, who has, who have passed away. So, um, uh, we, you can also call it like ghost festival, but uh, it's like has like really long history, and it's a traditional Chinese festival. And but people, Chinese people take this like really serious, not like funny stuffs, because that day is the day to for them to show the respect to all the people who has passed by. Aside from continuing the pumpkin carving traditions this year, Xing Yi says she and her friends are excited about dressing up, which is another one of her favorite parts of the holiday. I mean, that's the fun like for Halloween. It's like you don't, you, like people don't have to know you. So it's like you can, you can hide under like mask and like some really different style. So that's the, I think it's like really funny part of Halloween. Although Xing Yi Yan went to the block party, others took a break from the craziness. Pors Reven Yu, a fourth-year PhD student from Thailand studying education, research, and evaluation, loves Halloween and has experienced the festival twice. This year, she plans on having a little fun while also staying true to her academics. I went to a conference, Midwestern Educational Research Association in Chicago, in Evanston in Illinois. And then I went there for about seven days. I spent the very last day with my friend in Chicago's bar <laughs> to celebrate Halloween. And there was cups. There was a baseball game last night as well. If there was one thing that was evident when talking with international students about Halloween, one universal sentiment was their excitement. And who can blame them? There's nothing like dressing up in a fun costume and eating tons of sugary candy for an entire day, sometimes even night. It's a new tradition for them to experience, something that many students forget to remember for their international friends. For The Outlet, I'm Candace Wilder. Balancing school, work, and a social life can be tricky. 
But what's it like when you throw in a pet into the mix? The outlet's Elise Hammond covers what it's like to be a student dog owner. Logan Winkler, a senior studying corporate finance, lives with four other roommates in a house on Congress Street. But only three of his roommates are human. His fourth roommate is Ranger, the Brittany Spaniel. Logan and the boys of the house consider Ranger to be part of their family. The idea of Ranger grew out of late-night conversations between Logan and his roommate Bobby when they lived together in Crawford Hall. So at the start of their junior year, Logan and Bobby headed to Petland. That's where Ranger's energy and personality caught their attention. He still's got it. He's got all the energy, but we love it, and it's the perfect you know atmosphere with four you know 21 year old guys. It fits in with the house. It's just like one of us. Logan says Ranger is friendly to everyone who visits the house and to passing students on campus. But while having a pet has been a positive experience, it is also a lot of responsibility. You got to go full fledged with it, and you know, I think once we all got emotionally connected with them, it didn't become such a chore. It became like, you know, this is this is our buddy. Like we have, we do this. Like we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. So I, I think the responsibility. You know, people always tell you, but until you actually see how much responsibility a dog is, it's it's a lot. For students looking for pet-friendly living situations at larger apartment complexes, there aren't very many options. A number of off-campus properties have very strict no-pet policies. TSI Rentals, Skyview Apartment, which is managed by the university, Cornwell Properties, and Bobcat Rentals are among those who don't allow furry friends. But other properties are betting pet-friendly policies will draw students in. Christopher Walter is a leasing agent for River Park. He says River Park being pet-friendly is one of the apartment complex's biggest selling points. With pet-friendliness at the core of their marketing, River Park is making changes to expand and become more lenient with regulations. No residents stay for free, however, and even your puppy has to pay. A pet rent is being implemented, which involves a $250 down payment and $25 each month. A lot of properties around campus aren't pet friendly and the ones that are it's limited and kind of expensive too so we're trying to open that market up but I'd say there's probably at least like a hundred pets within River's Edge and River Park um, dogs and cats alike so but other rental companies like Bobcat Rentals say that a pet free policy allows them to save money by not having to make large repairs to their properties that could have been avoided but back at Ranger's house on Congress Logan still believes that having a dog is worth it in the end despite all the risks expenses and hassles of being a student pet owner. It doesn't matter you can be so mad you can fail a test you could pass a test you could you know something could happen emotionally to you but Ranger doesn't know that he's just going to be happy Ranger no matter what so it's always good coming home to him he's he's consistent you know he's always he's our happy consistent Ranger. <laughs> For the outlet, this is Elise Hammond. The Athena Theater, which had its 100th anniversary last year, hosted the second annual Drop Your Shorts Film Festival. The event doesn't exactly attract the likes of Spielberg, Scorsese, or Nolan, but it gathers aspiring directors and devoted fans of independent movies from Southeast Ohio. From funny short clips to bizarre music videos, David Lee was at the scene with some popcorn and a drink. Yang Miller is not a stranger to film festivals. Most recently, he won multiple prizes at the NYC Indie Film Awards this summer for his lead role in the feature film. He has now switched gears from acting in movies to creating, producing, and hosting Athens' own Drop Your Shorts Film Festival.
The event's tagline is, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. I love doing screening days where everyone shows what they're working on and get to see where everybody's at and feel it in the room. And I loved having people watch my films and just feel people's reactions. And the Athena had been trying to do something like this for quite a while uh, and had attempted a couple things like this. What we really aim for is short, sweet, and you can make it to the show. And so I just wanted to create a place for people to show and share work and to foster the filmmaking community in southeastern Ohio. Growing up in Athens, Miller returned to his hometown after working in film in New York for 16 years. Southeast Ohio has a special meaning to Miller, whose movie from the summer was shot mostly in Marietta, Ohio. This is a great place to make movies. People are excited to have you in their homes a lot of the times. They're like, oh, you want to make a movie in my house? Oh, great. Don't mind if I do. That sounds excellent. My house? Oh, my house? How could it? And then there's just a lot of great locations around here. Just beautiful, cool, unique locations. And it's affordable to make a movie in this area. I know people have to think that I'm crazy. I, okay, it is crazy that I'm friends with the river dolphin. But there's a dolphin in the Ohio River. <laughs> I do find it weird that nobody else... That was the opening scene of the film festival's winner, The River Dolphin. It will be played before screenings of feature films in the Athena throughout November. The movie's director and main actor, Nate Sesko, strikes a resemblance to Miller's passion for film on the local scale, having shot the entire movie at the Ohio River near Proctorville. Me and my writing partner, Cody Lambert, we hashed out this ridiculous idea about a guy thinking there's a dolphin in the Ohio River. Uh, so it started at a lunch. We needed something that was so outlandish that you could never do to a dolphin. Like, you can't feed a dolphin general sauce chicken. So we came up with the backstory of, uh, oh, he had a fever, and uh, he was eating general sauce chicken while watching Ellen and Flipper. We actually did spend about $50 in chicken. Comedy wasn't the only reason the film won. The ending was reminiscent of a sad movie, but it was also funny. It would seem the grandpa is trying to repair his grandson. He's trying to fix him and convince him there's no dolphin. But the grandson actually repairs the grandfather by convincing him there is a dolphin. Even though William Morosco did not win a prize during the night, the 11-year-old short clip won the hearts of the audience. This is actually my first ever film in the film festival. I cannot believe it got in. When I got that email, I was just surprised. I was actually kind of shaken. I was really shy. It was in the pureness of Morosco's appreciation of his close friend that really captured the crowd, while also making them laugh with some witty lines. There is someone I like that makes video game music, and he's Norwegian, so I decided I wanted to be something like Norwegian, so I just uh, did an accent like this. With another Drop Your Shorts planned for early next year, Miller seems to see promise for the future of film in Southeast Ohio. It's not just kids who are in film school, people are just picking up cameras and with you know, technology nowadays, you can make a movie on your phone. It just takes, you know, some hard work and persistence and a vision, and you get your posse together, figure out a film, 12 minutes or under. Compared to Hollywood or major cities like Chicago, people wouldn't normally see Southeast Ohio as an area known for aspiring filmmakers. However, with the excitement and the community-like aura that filmmakers brought to Athens, it seems like filmmaking is only beginning to test the waters in Southeast Ohio. For The Outlet, this is David Lee. That's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. 
The Outlet is co-produced and co-hosted each week by me, Grace Warner, and Abby Grizay. We are edited by Atish Badia, Susan Tebbin, and Allison Hunter. Adam Rich is our technical assistant. Our theme music is produced. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud and iTunes or find us online at woub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at outlet underscore woub. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Athens and Ohio University communities. Thanks for listening.